Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kubrick Series Uncut. In this episode, we speak with director Peter Himes. Mr. Himes is the director of 2010, The Year We Make Contact, the sequel to Kubrick's legendary 2001, A Space Odyssey. Before I get into 2010 and your experiences on on that film, I I wanted to get a sense from you of what, uh, as a filmmaker, what role Kubrick played in your life and what kind of inspiration he provided for you. Well, um, it's difficult to describe what role somebody played in your life. I was an art student. Mm -hmm. When you're an art student, you study the master's. Um, I started to make film. If you love film, you study the masters. Um, Kubrick. Kubrick is to film what Michelangelo is to painting. So, I guess if you say what influence did he have, he had a. It was certainly a, a place to aim and a place that you know you could never reach. Mm. And what did you, in, in these in these films of Mr. Kubrick's that, that you were particularly taken by, what, what did you see in them? What trademarks did you find? What special voice did he have? Two. He had two for me. Um, he had an incredible... His films had an incredible intellect. Mm-hmm. And they all, they, they taken collectively showed that you cannot typecast a talented filmmaker. He can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I mean, I'm, also, I'm a cinematographer, and, and I thought his work was startling the beautiful um and 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 difficult um mostly though it's the intellect and the sense of humor and uh, and, uh, and the the kind of inability to accept limits and the you know it's very for someone like me it's thrilling to go to a movie and see a film that's that you know you never could have done as well Mm. It's thrilling. Uh, There's a, to, to, to just look and go and walk out of a movie theater and go, shit, I never could have done that. That's, <laughs> it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think anybody could ever leave a theater seeing a movie by Stanley Kubrick thinking anything other than that. There's a couple of things you mentioned there. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the sense of humor because there is a, there is a, a dark humor in a lot of his films that I think people miss out on. Oh, I, I don't know how anybody could miss out on the humor when you're talking about movies like Dr. Strangelove and Lolita and, and uh, Clockwork Orange. Yes. Uh, the, the, those, those are, those are the, the, the most kind of obvious uh, uh, humorous films, I, I think, too. 
Um, I mean, I don't, also, I don't think Paths of Glory is a battle of laughs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 he had an incredible in, intellect and an incredibly intelligent sense of humor. And I think one of the hallmarks of his work is a kind of cynicism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just was so challenging. You just couldn't wait to see what the next thing was going to be. And as a as a cinematographer as well, um, I mean, all of your films have such a such a special look. Uh-huh. And in Mr. Kubrick's uh, his cinematography, I mean, it, the precision and the meticulous kind of nature of the framing and the, yes. What what did you pick up from his his visual style? Well, it, it was among other things immaculate. Mm. Um, much of his work was uh, more stately. Um, much of his work was almost like looking at wonderful paintings. Um, he was not afraid of shadow. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had voluminous talks about technique. Um, You know, he was a photographer first. Um, I, 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 you know, Barry Lyndon is is just an absolutely ravishing movie. It's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Doctor Strangelove is this combination of, you know, there's this ridiculous... um, Notion and, and certainly it's in Hollywood that that uh, a funny movie has to. I remember a studio head said to me once, F- "Funny movie has to look funny." I was making a comedy at the time um, with Billy Crystal, and he said, "It it doesn't look funny." I said, "What do you mean doesn't look funny?" He said, "Well, it doesn't have the look of a funny film. It looks like The Godfather." I said, "I wish it looked like The Godfather." Um, except a, a movie can't look funny; it can only be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, "What what do you think it should look like?" And he mentioned the name of a comedy that he had done. And I said, "Well, that that doesn't look funny. That just looks like crap." Um, and Kubrick made a movie like Strange Love with beautiful photography and and dramatic photography. Um, yeah, it was hysterically funny. Very much so, and and you know, I know that they're originally planning that to be a drama. I mean, as dramatic as the source material it came from, and and the the idea to make it into a comedy came late in the game. But the fact that it is a comedy, it 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 brings out deeper truth. Well, about actually, the... it is actually it is a comedy, and it isn't. Yeah, because you know you're you're younger than I am. I saw that movie and I was in school and it was when we had gone through the Cuban Missile Crisis and Cold War was around and flourishing and doing very well, thank you very much. And so everybody laughed hysterically in the audience when we saw Dr. Strangelove and then were very disquieted at the same time. That's what mm-hmm. made it so remarkable. Yeah. It, it, it like great satire. It, it brought out the 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 deeper truths about the severe implications of what sure. it was exploring. Yeah, sure. 
Uh, do you remember the first time you saw 2001 and the reaction you had? I saw 2001 when it came out. Um, the reaction I had was that the, the movie screen was simply made bigger. It just it just it just expanded the art form. It just I can't describe it any other way. Yeah. It's like when I when I was a kid and I saw Lawrence of Arabia. It was just bigger. It, it just made it bigger. Um, and you use the word meticulous, and it's a bit, it's, it's a perfect word to describe Stanley Kubrick. The visual effects in that film are meticulous. They're mm-hmm. mind-boggling. And to think that he did them in camera, to think that these were not aftermarket visual effects, that, you know, motion control and all the and, and, and CGI and all those things that we, we take for granted now, they weren't around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's my, to me, it's just it's astonishing. And like you said, uh, the, the technological aspect of the film is is astounding. But I am so taken with the ideas and the bold the boldness of the ideas in all of his films, particularly two thousand one. Um, that's what you responded to most as well. I would I would think, right? I, there's an opacity in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that served that movie that made me it, it, it scared me in a way that film was frightening in a way mm. um, and I think that's what was so wonderful about it it was the idea of what is out there is so beyond anything we could ever imagine um, and and to carry around the conceit that we're one of the smarter organisms is ludicrous as well as lunacy. And and I thought he conveyed that mm-hmm. by the enigmatic quality of it, too. Yeah. He wasn't afraid to be ambiguous. And I think that's why a larger reason why his movies have lasted as long as they have. And we're constantly going back and exploring the mysteries of his films uh, and bringing our own interpretations to them. I think that's the strength of these films. When I worked with... Uh, when I made 2010, I, I remember asking Arthur Clarke, what's... Just between you and me, I mean, I'm like, what the hell is the monolith and he said it's the cosmic equivalent of a Swiss army knife mm. um, it's, it's that kind of mind yeah the first my, my when, when MGM asked me to do 2010 um, they I, I they gave me the book I read the book and I said I would do it under two conditions. One, Stanley Kubrick has to approve me. And two, I, I want to change, I want to make changes uh, in the story uh, because I want to make it political. I want mm-hmm. to make it about 
Russian American Russians and Americans not getting along, and what happens? Um, and that has to be approved by Arthur Clark. So they uh, we arranged a phone call between myself and Stanley, and I was sitting in my office at MGM, and I said, "It's Stanley Kubrick." And I remember literally standing up. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I stood up. And um, the, the thing about Stanley Kubrick is he just didn't sound like Stanley Kubrick. He was incredibly mm-hmm. warm, had this New York accent. I'm from New York. Um, he was utterly disarming, um, very gentle, very patient, very kind, except immediately said that, you know, when you made that movie, uh, I, had made, I had made a film called Outland with Sean Connery. And he said, when you made that, mm-hmm. that shot you made, and he started, he st- immediately started to question me about technical aspects. And he had had problems being admitted into the Union in England as a cinematographer, so he was never really recognized for himself being a cinematographer. Um, and I, after a fairly long and bitter struggle, had been admitted in America into the IA as a cinematographer. So he was questioning, you know, all, all about that. We began to talk about lenses and film stocks and cameras and camera movements and stuff. And um, we spoke probably for two hours. And probably because mm-hmm. my legs were tired. Um, I said, look, we got to get something out of the way here. Um, do you, is it okay with you if I'm the one who writes and directs this movie? He said, oh, yeah, of course. Just The one thing you have to do is just don't be scared. Just make your own goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. And then we went on. And the phone call was over, and, and uh, my assistant, the guy who was working with me, came in to my office and said, what was it like? And I was kind of slumped in my chair, kind of dazed. I'd actually spoken with, you know, with a deity. And uh, he said, what was it like? I said, well, we talked for two and a half hours. I told him everything, and he told me nothing. Mm. Um, A couple of months later, I was sitting with Arthur Clark, and I said, Arthur, what was it like the first time you had a conversation with Stanley Kubrick? He said, well, it's really interesting. We, we we were outside and we sat on a bench. We talked for about two and a half hours. I told him everything and he told me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he he was endlessly inquisitive. I mean, Unbelievable. That, that's, yeah. You know, yeah. And, 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 and he was so acute. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just so acute. Except the surprising thing to me about him and he, you know, I, I did, sort of didn't know him well. Um, however, we had many hours on the phone during, during the process of the making of the film, the writing of the film and the making of the film. And in each instance, he was extremely warm. He was he was simply very, very nice. Uh, and and you know, I had this kind of Wizard of Oz complex about Stanley Kubrick believing that he was, among other things, the smartest person making movies that ever lived and, uh, you know, Olympian in his talent. Mm -hmm. 
And he just kind so, of wanted to get that out of the way, and, and and so he could just talk to you and just make you feel better. Yeah. So he's actually really sweet. So when you when you had further communications with him during the production, mm-hmm. did you reach out to him? Did you have questions? Sure, lots of questions yeah. about design, about what that meant, what this meant. Quite often, sometimes he was very elliptical, and sometimes he was very specific. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he went, oh, "Man, I don't remember." You know, he was just, I have no <laughs> idea. You know, and other times he was incredibly. And I had the feeling when he when he was saying those things, um, I think he remembered everything. I think just some things he wanted to reveal and some things he didn't. Yeah. When you, when you, uh, 2010, I, I know you've made a statement that the, sh- the, the path you took to, to, to realize that film, you tried to make as different a film as possible from 2001 to kind of negate any kind of comparisons. And Absolutely. Two, yeah, there's, 2010 a is, there's a difference between being crazy and being stupid. <laughs> I think it's a phenomenal film, 2010. Well, that's very, that's very kind of you, except I, I, I wanted to make a film that was so different that mm-hmm. I couldn't be prepared to Stanley Kubrick on the basis of that movie because there's no way I could be compared to Stanley Kubrick without it being an incredibly unfavorable comparison. Well, for, for a film that, and a filmmaker that meant so much to you, and and, and to to be heading up the production of 2010, your own film, and to be there with Cure Delay, and a lot of the elements from 2001, that had to have been a, a surreal experience. Well, it was very surreal for Cure, because um, when we replicated the spacecraft the odyssey um i you know when when i i recorded the voice of hal before i shot Mm. so that the actors could actually act with the voice of hal and i located douglas rain and uh he came over and did hal um and it was hal Mm-hmm. And Keir played a scene uh, where he talked to Hal, and in in the the the, rep, the replication of the uh, original Odyssey, and he he you know when he got done, he looked at me, and his eyes were filled with tears, and he said, "This is the most unbelievable experience. It is, you know, the 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 the, the set is perfect." He said, "And I got a chance to actually act with Hal." When Stanley made 2001, they were not set on who would be Hal. Originally, he had actually hired Martin Balsam to be Hal. Um, and uh, I think he felt that Martin Balsam was a bit more like your Jewish uncle than this kind of incredibly cold voice of, of, of Hal. And so Kier said, so when I when I went, because they didn't have Hal, they didn't know who it was, I would be doing my scenes and a Cockney second assistant director would be reading the voice. Hmm. He said, so I'd say, open the pot bay doors, Hal. And he said, sorry, Dive, can't do that, Dive. <laughs> uh, he, said, he said, so this was like an amazing experience for him. Hmm. Did you ever hear anything from Mr. Kubrick following the release of your film? 
Yeah, he was very sweet. He was very kind. Mm. He was very kind. Mm. So, so I, I'm curious to know the as you followed the evolution of Kubrick's career, um, what 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 films were you taken by? Films like The Shining or Eyes Wide Shut or. Well, I have to say that that Paths of Glory, um, Lolita, mm-hmm. um, without question, Strange Love, um, and 2001 uh, were for me. Growing up, I mean, they were they were the they were the yardsticks by which. Everything would have to be measured by and would always fall short. I mean, they were just beyond belief. I remember seeing Barry Lyndon and just, you know, gasping at what it looked like. It just it was so beautiful. Um, I, you know, I, you know you, you're just asking. It's, it's kind of like you're talking to to a guy who has always wanted to play baseball and asking him what he's thought of Babe Ruth. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Uh, it, it, what 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 mark do you think he he's he's left on on cinema with these films? I know that's a very broad question. <laughs> well, I, I think the other thing about Stanley Kubrick is that by and large he was a very profitable filmmaker. Yeah. That 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 Warner Brothers' relationship with with Kubrick uh, and MGM was profitable, and it would be very very uh, helpful if people who are running this business realize that, because there's not one movie he made that fit a mold. There's not one movie he made that was like other movies. There's not one other movie he made that would probably, if it was not Stanley Kubrick making it, would probably not be made. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, let's let's make a movie about a pedophile. Let's go make a movie about the fact that uh, the world's coming to an end. And by the way, let's end it. That's going to be funny. And and let's end it with the world really ending. Um, mm. Let's make a movie about about going out to space and having it end where you have no idea where you are or what you are. You know, that, that he just didn't make any movie that was like another movie he had made, and he didn't make a movie that was like a movie that anybody else had ever made, and, hoo-ha, he was profitable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was very smart about how he made them. I mean, minimal crew for the most part. I mean, he took his he took his time, but he was not wasteful. He not only was not he not only was not a profligate filmmaker. He kind of proved that if you make a movie that's intriguing and good, people will go see it. Mm-hmm. And and you know we're we're living in an age now where where studios only want to make movies that they feel indemnity in making. Mm-hmm. The America Studios uses this phrase tentpole, uh, so they want to make tentpole movies. You know, Harry Potter is a tentpole, um, and you, you couldn't put anything that Stanley Kubrick did 
in any of those categories. Yeah. Um, they only succeeded because they were so good. They didn't succeed because people with, were familiar with them before they opened up, or they were star-laden. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was only the last couple of films he made that, that, that had what you would call stars, you know, with Jack Nicholson and and, and Tom Cruise, right? And Ryan O'Neill at that time was a was a very big star. But other than that, I mean, they weren't. People can go to see movies because of Jersey Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was remarkable. Uh, but before I let you go, I when are we going to see another movie from you? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm writing now, which okay. is um, one of the reasons why I'm so happy to make a phone call. To be honest with you. Writing is such an agonizing thing for me that mm. if 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 a phone rings in another office, I'll open the door and go, I'll get it. You know, <laughs> so, so it's a paid, it is a painful process, isn't it? Right, <laughs> oh, it's right. horrible. It's for me, it's uh, horrible. I am so envious of people for whom writing is um, a, a happy process. I hear about that. I hear Woody Allen say when when he when he sees an empty pad of paper, he just wants to fill it. How do you do that? <laughs> you know, just, well, you know, I, I I've had on my wall for about twenty some odd years a quote from Sir Carol Reed. Mm. It said, "Making a film is all work and worry, all fear and all heartache. Not making a film is worse." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love your movies, and uh, I, I, well, I, you've you've lost whatever credibility you had. But, but I think. <laughs> I, I love it. Any time I'm able to speak to you, we had you on the show for Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, and, I, and we enjoyed it so much. So uh, uh, anytime you want to come on, anytime you want to break away from writing and give us a call, <laughs> be careful. please do I'm, that. Be careful. I'm supposed to be writing right now. I'll move in to get to, 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 to avoid writing. So <laughs> You'll see somebody with a cot. <laughs> Thank you.